Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation focused on relevant issues for leaders of small group ministries. Whether you are a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a lay leader or staff, we want to encourage, equip, and challenge you to thrive in your ministry context. The Small Group Network exists to inspire, inform, support, and resource one another because we are better together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. Welcome to Group Talk. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda, your host and the Executive Director of Small Groups at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. And if you've listened to part one of our January podcast, we already spent some time talking with Pastor Steve Gladen from Saddleback Church about three different seasons of ministry, the beginning, first season, and the mid-season, which is the topic of this portion, and then later um, the veteran season, perhaps, which is 10-plus years in ministry. And in in the interest of saving time, Steve, I'm not going to rattle off all your many accomplishments, because there's a lot of them. I feel very ripped off. You, you <laughs> talked about your title and everything, but that's okay. I'm not insecure. You're Go not ahead. insecure at all. Um, <laughs> and, but I will say you have been in ministry for 30 plus years and are very well equipped <laughs> to speak on this topic. Um, and Steve, of course, has also, is also the founder of the Small Group Network, which is entering its 10th year. And yeah. and as we um, start off 2017, I just want to say a big thank you to our listeners and just ask you to keep um, listening and let us know if there's anything we can do, any topic we can cover, or anything that the network can do for you, because we are in this together, and we want to see what God's going to do in and through this network in the months ahead. Mm-hmm. All right, so in part one, Steve, we talked about starting out and kind of the five main things to pay attention to. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go back. And it's not necessarily year one. It's just kind of the beginning season. And I think if people are working part-time or on a volunteer basis, that season can be a little longer um, than necessarily if you're doing, you know, 40 hours a week and and kind of uh, pushing that out, right? So the seasons are kind of more flex and not really as much attached to a year. Yep. And I, I, I almost even say so because when, uh, as I as we were preparing all this and I was going through it, is one of those things where uh, I, I look back at both the starting, the stabilizing, and the sustaining parts and realizing that, you know, every one of these are things I need to get re-reminded of. So as we're jumping into the stabilizing side, you may think, oh, my groups are stabilized. Uh, <laughs> but then again, maybe they're not. So take a listen and see what happens. Exactly. And we're going to knock you knock that honeymoon stage off. Um, yeah, baby. As we were talking about this, too, we were saying how there's some analogies, obviously, to merit. So you have the starting out. There's a the honeymoon stage. It's just gotten hired. It's all shiny and new, and people are expecting great things, and you're super excited. And this stabilizing season, kind of the mid mid years, um, the main honeymoon is is gone. Now you've got to do some serious work. Um, so what are some key things to pay attention to in kind of those mid years of ministry? Well, you know, Carolyn, I love how you said the analogy with marriage. I think when you think through the Bible, uh, the Bible's written on a family system. So it's it's only natural that when you're starting to think through your own ministry role, it is like being in a family. And the longer you're in a family, as longer you're in a marriage, you start to see all the flaws that, <laughs> that people can have. Now, naturally, Lisa's been shocked in our 27 years of marriage that She's only found two flaws. Uh, so, only two. You know, I think I need to ask Lisa to join us for, <laughs> for the marriage podcast. 
let's not bog our, our listeners down in that <laughs> trivia. But let me go through the, the, these five things. The first thing I would say is you've been at your church now for a period of time. Uh, as Carolyn said, you know, it may not be uh, a linear time span, but whatever that time is. And, and it's important that you understand that your church has a culture. Now, that may, may sound like, you know, duh, but, you know, so often in ministry, uh, people uh, don't realize or they try to bring their culture into it. Sure. Uh, you're, you're a groups person and you say, I want groups to be the main, th- the main you know, driver of our church. But if you're not careful, uh, every church has a culture, whether you realize it or not. And hopefully at this time, you, you're starting to get in there and you're starting to say, okay, you know, not only this is who I am at our church, but also, you know, what what is working in our church culture? Uh, you know, we're always talking about, you know, how do we start groups? Uh, and, you know, that may work. Your, your church may not, you know, be in a culture where they're saying, hey, we'll, we'll do a campaign and, and have everything bought in. They may not even do a connection event strategy. Sure. Uh, you may do, be doing different things, but you've got to know that, Find out where is the alignment where you're getting wins in your church's culture. Some churches uh, are are very um, uh, stringent in the way that they they want leaders developed. Right. Some are a lot more loose. Uh, you know, just churches are as different as people, and so it's going to be very important that you start to get a handle on your culture. And the thing I think the leadership transferable leadership principle that goes with this is that. Um, you know, the more, longer I'm in ministry, the more I'm realizing it's more an art and not a science. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about some science types things that, you know, will be there, but it really is an art just like, uh, there's, there's no perfect handbook on marriage. There's no perfect handbook on raising a family, but there is that part where you, you need to be staying in high communication and starting to learn more about the culture uh, of what is driving your church. And, and I, and the thing I would do is enlist other people. I mean, if I were, you know, in this season of life and you say, Hey, I don't know my culture, I would, or even if you think you do know your culture, I would start to lean into other folks and say, Hey, what do you think our culture is? Mm-hmm. And find out from them and find out the disparity or the alignment that is there in your church. Because from once you know that, then you can start to build the vision and the mission that are more concrete. We talked about that in the starting stage, but you may need to adjust once you find out the culture. And, you know, I think the cultural piece is all about context, right? And so now you've been in there for a while. So in those middle years, you can you actually have some data to work with. You know, you walked into the job with assumptions and hopes and fears and all of that, but now you actually have real-life data. What are your people like? What is your senior leadership really like? Not just what they told you in the job interview, but how do they really function? How do you get um, get stuff on the platform? How do you navigate, you know, the internal... Um, the ins and outs of your your leadership culture and get wins for the small group. I mean, it's just some, there's just so much knowledge around the midpoints or you know a few years in where I just felt like, aha, uh-huh, this is how things work around here. Like it took me a while, especially coming from a, uh, a corporate background. You know, the pacing, the 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 pacing of ministry, the whether it's fat, you're in a fast driving culture, or whether you're in a slow step by step sort of culture. I mean, it. it 
the the pacing piece alone just took a long time to to understand and then to get in alignment with because you know if you just if you try to to uh, fix culture too fast or put or not adapt yourself to the culture i think you just kind of get burnt out yeah i you I know mean, one of those things that we always give you the analogy on is that you know it takes a rowboat about uh eight feet or three meters to turn full direction but for a uh, oil tanker it takes you know uh 12 miles and so it's wow. one of those things where you've got to understand to turn your your culture you've got to understand you know are we a rowboat or are we on an oil tanker? And more times than not, you're an oil tanker. So, uh, but getting to know culture helps you to understand how you can start to uh, renew and bring the renewals into your church. That's a great point. So the second one kind of ties into that. When you know the culture, then you've started off with a blueprint, as we discussed in the starting stage. Now, what do you do with that blueprint? Yeah. And, and one of the things, and, you know, um, this is one of the things I, I love doing here at Saddleback is that with all of our campuses, we bring them together once a year. And uh, we actually do this for other churches, too. It's called Accelerate. It's a, uh, it's a uh, strategic workshop that we do that helps you walk through 22 questions that every small group ministry is going to need. And when you're looking at your blueprint, you've got to understand that Every one of those sets of questions that, that we walk people through, it is um, you're not always working on the same thing. And that's the beauty about ministry. It's ever-changing. <laughs> right. And your goals will never be the same. It's kind of like your own personal planner when you're trying to work on your own spiritual health. It, you may have a goal and a plan, like you know, starting out in January, you're crystal clear on your goals. And I mean, Lisa and I were just talking about this the other day and, you know, what are these things we're working on? But I can tell you what, within four weeks, there's been a lot of change that's happening. And in the same way in your church, some of the things you thought you needed to do weren't the things you needed Mm -hmm. to do. And that's not a bad thing. You just got to readjust. But, you know, getting into those zones where you can say, okay, what do I need to change? Or Or maybe it's not what do I need to change? What do I need to focus on now? Maybe I was trying to get one thing started, but right. I really need to get the other thing started. So another shameless plug for Accelerate <laughs> in the network, just to be able to help you plan a strategic uh, map uh, for your small group ministry. And the great thing about something like Accelerate, it really is that it gives you a pause. Because unless we carve out the time to dream and plan like that with your team, it, it's hard to do that while you're flying the plane and making those adjustments. So it kind of gives you that space. Um, so you know, you know, one of the things I'd even say with that is that uh, I've learned that uh, you've got to get away from the church mm. to work on the church. And so, uh, you know, we've tried to do these strategic planning things, you know, inside our own church building. And there's just something just like what you said, get away. There's something about being away <laughs> right. when people can't get a hold of you really quickly or, you know, tap on right. the door and say, sorry for interrupting. You know, they're, <laughs> they're not sorry. They just <laughs> They do it on purpose, Steve, just to you. They do. They um, do. All right. Third point um, you say is to stay true to your metrics. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I mean, one thing I've learned about ministry is uh, we're, we're real good at starting things. We're terrible at stopping things. And <laughs> uh, everybody has a good idea uh, that takes you away from your great idea. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing I love about metrics, and, and I know that at the close of the year, um, 
in December of 16, you did a great podcast with uh, Bill Willits. Uh, yeah. He fo- he followed the script I wrote him really well. <laughs> very proud of him for that. Nice shout out, Bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, metrics, the beautiful thing about metrics are they, they are your compass. They are the North Star. They help you understand. And so often, uh, you know, I think one of the, the unsaid things that hurts ministry is drift. And I find out a lot of my job is making sure we don't drift off of our metrics. And if we are drifting, then, you know, do the metrics need to change? Are we, are we, were we measuring the wrong thing? But uh, one of the things is you've got to know your metrics. Um, listen to that podcast with Bill. I mean, I, I joked about, you know, writing it for him. Uh, but, you know, it is, it is brilliant. Uh, it's one of the things that uh, Bill's got nailed down. But right. every one of us need to know our metrics and stay true to them. But also, whatever you have to do, keep that in front of you. Uh, you know, in the whiteboard of my office, our metrics are up there. Uh, when we hold a meeting in my office, I want everybody to hmm. see it and to know, you know, what, what's that visual reminder? Uh, we put, you know, slogans and the things out in the area of where our staff sit to be able to keep reminding them this, this is due north. We won't allow drift because hmm. if you allow drift, you're surrendering uh, what you're trying to do. And, you know, it's that old adage, you know, if the uh, devil can't make you to sin. They try to get you to be busy. And churches love to be busy. And, you know, one of the things I, I've had to say, is, you know, that's a great idea. And if you really want to do it, uh, there's plenty of churches where I'm sure you could go do it. But <laughs> right now, uh, we're not doing that right now because we're trying to stay focused uh, on, our, on our metrics. So um, you may just first be saying, do I have metrics? Right, uh, right. Uh, that may be your starting point. Um, but once you have them, make sure you stay with that. And, and, and part of it is in metrics, you do need the cute slogans. You know, we, we have those slogans of being able to say, you know, to balance the great commission, and the great commandment, and the heart of every person and heart of every group. Those are cute and they're fun and you need to memorize them. But you've got to have the teeth behind that slogan that are saying, here's the metrics we're looking at to be able to say how many health assessments have been filled out, how many groups have a planner. You know, we're wanting to make sure those things are taken care of and dialed in. The other piece of that is so good is I think if you don't aren't clear and you don't write it down and constantly call back to it, which sometimes I feel like a broken record. I'm saying the same thing, you know, to our leaders and to our team, but it's part of our job as point leaders to constantly say the same thing to prevent drift from happening. And also, it also is a caution against, I think, um, moving the, what do they call that? See, I'm not a football person, but, you know, moving the goalposts where maybe something didn't go as you had hoped or planned or envisioned, and then instead of acknowledging that, hey, that didn't quite work, so how can we do this differently or better? Um, sometimes the temptation is to move the goalposts and say, well, that was good enough, or it worked. And so we kind of twist the metrics a bit to fit that. And I think what what you're saying is, is so good. to just You have to stay true to it, because if that's been given to you by God, by the leadership of the church, by your own calling, then um, you need to stick with it and work, keep working at it. Um, yeah, there, there's a couple of great, uh, well, obviously the biblical analogy that's used so often is in Jeremiah, I mean, in Nehemiah, when um, they were building the wall, you know, it was a 52-day project, and by day 26, they were they were distracted. Right. And, and I think the, the other thing 
Uh, and, you know, people always say, you know, what's the, the secret of Saddleback and that and, and that Rick keeps on repeating the same thing <laughs> over and over and over again in, in different ways to make sure. it fresh and all that. But vision leakage is a is a common thing. And sometimes because we are entrenched in it, we right. think everybody else is. And it's one of those things where you just you have to keep repeating it. You've got to put it. I mean, on your leader training, your vision, your mission should always be printed. It should just be redundant where they're seeing it in different ways and and saying it periodically. Even with my staff, you know, I've gone around, uh, you know, it doesn't happen every year. But, you know, throughout the years, we'll have someone say, OK, what's our vision? Go ahead and say it. Yes, you. I'm looking at you right now. <laughs> Go ahead and say it. Uh, you know, the same thing with our mission, because if if we don't own it, then uh, it can go there. So I love what you're saying there, Carolyn, is that you've got to keep it in their face in front of them all the time. And it's just it, we will we will not surrender. We will be tenacious in making that happen. All right. Um, on to number four, you say to stay true to your calling. Now, by that, do you mean your personal ministry calling or to a specific church or to the job? What's the parameters for that? Well, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's it's all of the above. I mean, we can <laughs> slice and dice this many ways. Uh, you know, when you're in this part of your ministry, there's a lot of times where you wonder, did I make a mistake? I mean, I won't speak for you, Carolyn. I'm <laughs> sure you're you're grounded, you know, there and never going to leave. But uh, for some people, you know, you can say, you know, uh, and, and it's just human nature. You know, look at the Israelites. You know, they finally get freed from 400 years of slavery, and they're like going. We had it better in Egypt. And so, uh, you know, we always want to go back. Uh, that's why Proverbs 26 is my my life verse, you know, as the dog returns to his vomit. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I, I'm Thank just like, Thank you for oh. that visual. Yeah, I, I find myself going there. But so your calling just has to be cemented in. So first off, it's your personal calling. If God called you to ministry, it wasn't by accident. Uh, you know, I could go on for an hour on this, but John 21, when Jesus comes back to Peter and just said, hey, I didn't make a mistake when I called you to be a disciple. It's the same way, you know, and we all go through our own insecurities. Uh, any of you that know my insecurities, it's, you know, I always find myself replaying those tapes and just saying I'm not good enough. I'm not I'm not like, you know, you know, person one or person two or person three or whoever they are. And you, you're always seeing other you know, attributes in somebody else you wish you had, but God calls you. He wants the original. He doesn't want the copy. So I would say, yeah, there's the personal side, but then there's the part that's called to your church. Um, you know, if, if a missionary, you know, you know, put their surroundings and what they got paid and their luxury standards and all that as a premise to doing missionary work, they would be off the mission field in about a month because <laughs> um, they're saying, Oh, my calling is here. But so often for us, and, and I know for me too, I'm, I've, I lay victim of this the same way because when another church comes and, and tries to, uh, you know, get you to be a part of their church, you know, it's, it's sexy. And you're like going, wow, if it's, if it's not really God, sometimes your fallen nature can get into that too. And so uh, I, I would look at the calling uh from that aspect, you know, of course you want to say, you know, if your church is in an illegal or an immoral, uh, you know, or an unbiblical situation, you know, don't 
You don't feel like you have to be the martyr and go down with <laughs> get that. Get out. But, get out soon. <laughs> right. But but it, it's really, is it a job or really is it a calling? And I can tell you at Saddleback, I've, I've gone up the food chain and I've gone down the food chain. And when you're going up the food chain, it feels really, really good. When you're going <laughs> down, you're like going, you know, God, maybe you didn't call me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I just, you know, it was just uh, about uh, three or four weeks ago, Rick sent me a text and, and don't read into that. He doesn't send me a text all the time. I've probably gotten, you know, one a year. Uh, but uh, but uh, with this one, he he just said, uh, you know, thanks for all you're doing. And we had a great, you know, strategy time. And he said, imagine if you had left, we had never had this mm. piece of strategy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God's more concerned about our character than our comfort. And uh, just always understand that, you know, in this time, you need to say, is my identity set in my title, my office that I sit in or where I sit positionally or who I report to or things like that? You know, um, it's one of those things I've reported to Rick before. I've not reported to Rick. I've, then I've been back to reporting to Rick and then been, you know, opposite. So, but, you know, if your identity is set on those types of circumstances, the, the enemy will jack you up all the time. But if your identity is set in Jesus and that he's called you there, and more times than not, your job isn't affected by any of those surroundings. You can do your job, whether you have the title pastor in front of your name or Joe Blow uh, (laughs) or Jane Blow, uh, um, whatever it is. But just stay true. If God's got you in ministry, stay in ministry. If God's got you at that church, then, you know, he put you there for a reason. And I get it's very subjective uh, on, you know, on the calling part of, you know, as far right. as in, in at the church you're at. But sometimes I think we shortchange it much like marriages do. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, Lisa and I have been married 27 years. We've never, con- we've never contemplated divorce but, you know, there's probably times when you're in a relationship and you go, it may be the easier route, mm-hmm. but easier doesn't mean the right route. And uh, that's where the commitment and the calling uh, really, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's really good. If, if any of you are listening and some of this stuff is, is hitting you on a personal level, I encourage you to talk to somebody, perhaps even outside, perhaps part of the network, to, um, to process it. And I have been there, much as I love this church and have been here a long time, I have been there a couple times where I've been like, okay, is this, this is making sense still? Um, and I think we all go through that. But when you do come out of it and you have that renewed sense of calling and commitment, there's such a sweet season, just like in marriage. Um, when you come out of something hard and you adjust, um, and then God kind of gives you a, a season of of peace and joy in the ministry that I think you don't get to if you give up too fast. So I would encourage people to hang in there and get get other people around you. So the final one, and we'll hit this one's kind of more obvious, um, is to keep growing the volunteer team. You talked, Steve, initially about how important it was to build a team, a mentors of people coming alongside you, of people who are your fans. Now in this mid season. Um, the importance of growing volunteers team is even more imp- uh, relevant because you're going to, if you're the one that's connecting with every single leader, you're going to cap out and um, put a lid on your ministry pretty quick. Yeah. And I think my word for here in this, when you're in the stabilizing part of ministry is, uh, is the word scalable. And the only way you are going to grow uh, your ministry is if it's scalable. And by scalable, 
that means you've got to be reproduced in, in many, many different ways. Um, you know, you can structure for control or growth, but you can't do both. And some of us are more growth centered. Some of us are more controlled centered. And if you're more controlled centered, you're not going to have the growth that you you're wanting or desiring. Uh, and so it's one of those things where I just encourage you to to keep on finding the people. One of the things when we're doing Accelerate, uh, I know we talked about that earlier, but we talk about um, five uh, phases that they need a champion to help. Because uh, I found out, you know, as the small group pastor, one of the things I wasn't good was is running our connection events. Um, <laughs> I, I would just, uh, it just wasn't who I was, but there were a couple people that thrived in that. And now in some ways you're like, well, hey, I'm the small groups pastor. I should be up on stage. But sometimes you've got to figure out, are you the actor or are you the director? Hmm. And they're very different roles in the area of Hollywood that both Carolyn and I live in. But <laughs> you, you have to understand that in order to grow, you've got to figure out who you are and what you're good at. Uh, I was just with, um, you know, some of the, the people that report to me and I said, you need to run this meeting because I'm better in a meeting as a number two person, not the number one person. Mm. Meeting. It's just who I am. I can contribute more when my, my brain isn't focused on running an agenda or a meeting. Right. So, but part of growing this volunteer team is when you're thinking scalability, you've got to understand who you are and who you aren't. And being willing to give people ministry so that they can get it done. And sometimes these are going to be the people that will replace you. Uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, if God, you know, you know, does call you away, uh, as we're talking on the last point. Uh, but, you know, understanding that these people are people that you are pouring into. And what we love to call this is your C team. Uh, if I was going to start a business, I would uh, have my C team around me. It's called your C-suite. You're, you're the CEO because you're starting it. You'd have a CFO, a CTO, a CIO, a CHR, a CSO, you know, <laughs> things. But, um, it's a lot of Cs. <laughs> well, it depends on your company, but you're trying to build it, and so you're getting people who are around there. This is what we're talking about here. Build that C-suite of people that are going to engineer and be the mind. These are your thinkers. These are your strategists that understand how to build a ministry. And that's an excellent point, too. I think the I like what you said about knowing your strengths. Part of, I think, why people, we get burnt out in ministry is we're doing too many things that are not playing to our strengths, that aren't the things that bring us joy, that are part of our spiritual gifting. And so then it becomes harder and more frustrating. And if you can dish off some of those things and delegate them to people who are gifted and are better at it um, than you and enjoy it and find you know joy in it and are more effective, then it takes it off your plate and you you just find yourself being happier and less burnt out. I think it protects you against kind of that, that burnout feeling. We, we do not have to do everything as the small group ministry leaders. I think too many of us think that we, we need to, um, and yet we don't because there are people around us that God has put, and we just need to do the work of finding, recruiting, and in, enabling and empowering them to do the work as well. Yeah, when you're recruiting these people, if they don't make you feel insecure, then they're the wrong person. Uh, because because you want to get people that put you on edge a little bit because because uh, that means they're that good that they are causing insecurity in you and then you just gotta you know I can't wait to up. share that with everyone on your team. <laughs> <laughs> you all are making Steve feel insecure. This is a good thing. <laughs> 
that's how good they are. That also shows how confident a leader you are because you won't have people around you that are better at other things unless you yourself are pretty secure in your identity in Christ, as you spoke about earlier, and what you do bring to the table. Um, or I have blackmail on that. So <laughs> or that. There, there's always that. All right, well, this concludes our part two of kind of the mid-season, what you need to focus on. And I hope that was helpful to you. Thank you so much, Steve, for those um, comments. And. Oh. Always fun to hang with you. <laughs> and if you want to connect with Steve, um, you can follow him on Twitter at Steve Gladen. He's also active, very active on our Facebook small group network page. And there's a great bunch of resources there from people in all different stages of ministry. And also on his website, smallgroups.net, which has a ton of free um, downloads that on all different topics relate to small groups ministry, which is super helpful as well. So thank you for listening. And we'll continue with part three in the next session. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes so you can get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate the podcast and leave comments so other small group ministry leaders can easily find us. To connect with a small group network huddle in your local area, read our blog, join us on Facebook, or access additional resources. Visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Remember to use the hashtag when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.